So last spring, I found myself having a number of conversations, some of them here at the church, others out in the parking lot, even more conversations at the grocery store with many of you. And we were having conversations about your life. You wanted to share with me uh, some of what you're struggling with. It was uh, about a death in the family or, you know, it's been six months since Bob died and I still don't feel like I'm fully myself. Others of you uh, would share with me that you were struggling at work or there was a relationship that had come to an end or you were really hoping this relationship would be the next one. But there was something that you all had in common. At the end of almost all of those conversations, people would look at me and they would say, oh, I'm so sorry to bother you with this. I'm sure I'm the only one dealing with any of it. And there was like a four-week period that that, that comment wouldn't escape sort of my zone. And I thought, you know what? We need to do a sermon series on eight things that we all are wrestling with but are not talking to one another about. And I thought, what? If we were going to put together a series, we should do a series on eight things, not a hundred. We could do a hundred-week sermon series, but I don't think I'd have a job anymore. (laughs) But my goal for this series is three part. The first is that we begin to name some of the things that we are all walking around with. It's good to bring uh, light into darkness. It's good for us to name some of the things that we're not talking about um, at work, some of the things we're not talking about at uh, dinner parties. The second goal for this series is that we will begin to get a sense of time. It's one thing for us to struggle in a season of our life. It's another thing to have some perspective and wisdom that time can provide. So my hope is that we'll talk about some of the things that we're all carrying, but with the sense of an expanded understanding of time. And the third is this. My goal is that by naming and claiming some of the things that we're all walking around with that will turn to our faith, we'll turn to the scriptures, we'll turn to the spiritual tradition so that we can see that we aren't the only ones. We're not the only ones who've ever wrestled with things. That there are people right here in the scriptures that have wrestled just like us and that there is wisdom to be learned, that there's a way forward to be had that maybe we couldn't arrive at on our own. And so as we were putting the series together, I thought, oh great, what is everyone going to want to talk about right after a really long vacation? Work! And I thought, maybe not, but maybe now's the time to talk about work. Right after a vacation, right when we begin the new year, UT Southwestern uh, put out a study, and it's now a website. It's an interactive map. If you live in the neighborhood of the church, the 75230 uh, zip code, you are afforded, on average, 80 years of life. That means that you are afforded 700,000 hours on this earth. Think about that for a second. You're afforded 700,000 hours. And some of you are like doing the calculation. You're like, wait, if I was afforded 80 years, 700,000 hours, how many hours do I have left? Some of you are thinking, I'm just getting started on my hours. But think about this. If you work uh, 40 hours a week, eight hours a day, you work, uh, you know, 40 years. And if you sleep on average eight hours a night, between your work and your sleep, you will spend nearly half of your life working and sleeping. 
which means two things. One, we need to talk about all having a really good mattress, okay? We do a lot of sleep. The second is we need to talk about our work. And as Americans, uh, we spend a lot of time at work, right? Do you know that a third of Americans today work more than 45 hours in a week? Did you know since 1979, as Americans, we are working on average 8% more? And when we're not working, we are uh, talking about work or we're thinking about work or we're thinking about the job we wish we had. Because did you know, as Americans, on average, we will change jobs on average now, 12 times in our career. We're people who work. We're people who like to talk about work. We're people who like to plan on the next job that we have. And it could be really easy, can it not? To get caught up in the title that we have. Partner. Senior vice president consultant, senior pastor. And it can be really easy, right, to see the whole world through the title, through the work that you do every single day. Teacher, department chair, head physician. It can be really easy when we get caught up in the titles that we have because titles indicate something, do they not? They indicate uh, how much education we have. Titles uh, indicate how much money we make. Uh, They indicate who uh, we're in relationship with. It indicates where we live and where we are in the social hierarchy. Oh, there's a lot bound up in our work. And it can be tempting to think that our title and what we do is what defines us. And yet, did you know, and I've looked really hard this week, there's not one instant in the Bible, not one, Where someone is wrestling, they're trying to discern whether or not to go to law school or to med school, and so they go up to the top of the mountain and they say, oh Lord, these paths are before me, point me down the right path. There's not one time in the Bible where someone is having that dark night of the soul question of, I've been in accounting my whole life, but it's just not bringing life to me. What should I do now, God? There's none of that in the Bible. But there are a lot of stories in the Bible, my friends, about people like us seeking to do the best we can, trying to work hard and raise a family, and people who want to be faithful. They want uh, God's love and mercy and forgiveness to be reflected in and through their lives. Which makes me wonder if God is not all that interested in what we do, What if God is not that interested in what we do? But what if God is far more interested in how we go about whatever we do? This can be confusing for the church because the church has talked about the priesthood of all believers, right? Started with John Calvin and the Reformation. Let's be clear, the Reformation was a time period in which uh, folks came together and said, you don't need a priest to mediate your relationship with the, defi- with the divine, right? 
If you don't need a priest to make sure that you're in relationship with God, then is there such a thing as only one divine job, priest? John Calvin said no. If you don't need a priest to mediate your relationship with the divine, that means that all people are capable of ministry. John Calvin would say everyone in the sanctuary this morning would be right over there on the staff wall in the atrium. We would all be ministers because John Calvin says that God could work through all of us, no matter what our profession, and bring about ministry and God's purposes in the world. Right? And then the church, the church tells us that, and we think, great, I just need to find that one job. What is the one thing that I am made of? Uh, to quote Aristotle or Frederick Beekner, what is my greatest hunger and the world's greatest need, and where do they collide? That's when I'll find meaning and purpose in my life. Let me say, if you have found the one thing that you are deepest, your deepest hunger and the world's greatest passion, and you're, you get paid to do that, you are in a place of great pri privilege in this world. I say that as one of those people. But the reality is a lot of people work just to put food on the table. A lot of people work just to make sure their kids have a better future than they had. A lot of people work just so that they can go on vacation and spend more time with their family. So what if work, my dear friends, what if God is not as interested in what we do God is much more interested in how we do it. How do we live our lives? How do we reflect the grace, mercy, love of Jesus Christ into the world? And I've been wrestling with a text that I'm so excited for us to study together. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. If you um, will find a pew Bible, I want to um, read the text, but I also want to teach, teach along the way. We're going to turn to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And I think that we're going to see that God is not as interested in the title that we have, but God is much more interested in how we go about our work. We're going to pick up at the 18th verse. So, as he, the text says, that's Jesus, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, uh, when you see Sea of Galilee, think just really big lake, okay? Big lake. Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. The first thing we learn about Peter and Andrew is the title and what they hold in the world. They're fishermen. Got it? We're all clear on that. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And listen for this shift. As Jesus went from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee. They were mending their nets, and uh, Jesus called them. They immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you hear the, the shift there? Jesus calls the first two disciples, and we learn immediately what it is they do in the world. They are fishermen. 
And let's be really clear, in the ancient Mediterranean, there was no career office, okay? You didn't go to the temple and sign up for the seven steps to find your perfect calling. No, if your father was a fisherman, guess what? You were going to be a fisherman. If your father was a tax collector, you were going to be a tax collector. If your mother worked outside the home, you were going to do whatever she did. If your father was the king, you were the prince. And if you were the queen, guess what? You were the princess. We talk about that a lot in our house right now. (laughs) Fishermen, that's what you are. It defines your whole life. But when we get to James and John, we don't hear that they're fishermen at all. We don't hear their title. We actually hear that they're brothers, that they have a familial relationship, and we hear that they also have a father, Zebedee. It seems that title may not be as important as how people go about their work because James and John are called by Jesus and they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. James and John, two boys that have been at their father's right hand since the day they were born, since the earliest stages that They could, being in that boat, learning the craft, learning the family business, and when Jesus calls them, they drop all of that and follow him? I got to tell you, I'm interested. Why doesn't the text say, and Zebedee followed after them, screaming, what are you doing? That's the first question I have of this text. How does Zebedee feel about all this? The second question that I have of this text a little deeper than that. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent in this room, this is my question of that text. Where did James and John... Where did James and John learn that when they are encountered with meaning and purpose and love and light. That they should drop whatever's in their hands and follow that. Where did James and John learn that when they are encountered with meaning and purpose in their life, That even if they're holding on to the family business, even though they have been trained for this and they've been brought up in this, that when they're encountered with a life like that, they're supposed to drop it and go. Where do they learn that? Text doesn't tell us. But I'm going to make the assumption that James and John learned that from their father, Zebedee. And I think they learned it from their mother, too. And I don't think it was a one-time thing. I don't think they had to sit down and let's talk about your life's greatest purpose talk. No, I think James and John, for over the course of their entire life, watched their father and their mother live with meaning and purpose and with love and light so that when they recognized that in their own life, of course they dropped it all and they followed. Oh, I think God is far more interested 
in how we go about living our lives, then God is interested in what we may do. What would it look like if you lived out of a, this identity? This identity as a person of God, as this per, out of this identity as a child of God. How would that change your life? How would that change your world? If you lived out of that identity rather than the title on the door, how would that change your interactions in the office? How would it change your interactions in the classroom? How might that change your interactions with your patients? How would it change the way you do email? Am I getting close enough now? How would it change the way that you interact with the clerk at the grocery store? How would it change the way that you see your family? How would it change the way that you live in love with your partner or your spouse? Well, I think it'd change everything. What if the invitation is for us to live out of that identity? How do we do that? Uh, there was a rabbi in, in Krakow. Uh, the rabbi had been out late one night, and he had uh, just had dinner and drinks with friends late into the night. And he was walking back. It was the middle of the night, pitch black, dark. And uh, he got to a fork in the road. If he took the fork to the right, that path would lead him on the path home. But if he took the fork to the left, uh, that path would lead him right past a Roman military base, and there would be a, a big wall there and guards there. And the rabbi from Krakow had been out really late with friends, and he wasn't really paying attention. And so he took the path to the left, and sure enough, he ended up right at this Roman military base, and there was a guard standing up in one of the watchtowers. The guard saw the rabbi from Krakow and shouted down to them, and he said, Hey, who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi froze. He looked up at the guard. And the guard shouted down again, who are you and what are you doing here? The rabbi looked up at the guard and he said, excuse me, sir, uh, how much do they pay you to stand in that guard tower? And the Roman guard said, what do you mean how much do they pay me? The rabbi from Krakow said, how much do they pay you to stand in that tower at night and to yell down at people like me? Well, the Roman guard said, well, they pay me 100 denarii a week. Rabbi from Krakow says, hey, you know what? I'll double it. And the guard said, what do you mean you'll double it? The rabbi said, um, I'll pay you 200 denarii a week if you will show up at my house every morning and every evening and ask me those two questions. Rabbi, who are you? And what are you doing here? Friends, who are you? No, no, no. Not what do you do. Did you hear me? Who are you? And what are you doing here with your 700,000 hours? What would change about your life? If you started every single morning with those two questions, cup of coffee, who am I and what am I doing here? What if you wrote it on a post-it note, stuck it right there on the computer screen of your, uh, at your desk, and every day after lunch you came to your office and you started your afternoon with who am I and what am I doing here? And what if at the end of every day you get done having dinner with your friends or you put the kids down or you called and checked in on your family right before your head hit the pillow, you said, 
Who am I? And what am I doing here? Oh, I think if we begin to ask ourselves those questions, we will inevitably begin to live out of a different identity. And how we live will influence how we work. I'm going to do that again. How we live will influence how we work, not vice versa. Can you imagine if we started living out of that identity? How might that change everything for us? Well, there's a um, guy, bus driver in New York City, drives the bus in Manhattan every single day, and he's gotten really clear about which identity he lives out of. He picks up people in Manhattan all day long in those really fancy office buildings, and he notices that people get on his bus, they seem stressed out, they seem on edge. Some of them seem really angry, some of them seem really, really tired. And this bus driver began to notice all of these people and all that they're carrying, and so he instituted a new ritual. Every afternoon, every evening on the last line of the day, he pulls into his last stop and he picks up all these people who have so much to carry from, the, from their days. And the bus driver gets on the inter- intercom in the bus and he says, I know y'all been working hard. I know that you've had some uh, stressful days. It looks like some of you are really anxious. Some of you look like you could be really tired. A lot of you may be angry about something. I want to I make you a deal. I want... Um, If you're so inclined, will you name everything that you're carrying out loud? You don't have to say it so I can hear, but just name it out loud, and I'll make you a deal. If you name it, then I'll take whatever you're carrying, and I'll take it across the bridge to Long Island, and I'll leave it there for the night so that you don't have to take everything that you're carrying back to those people that you love. Don't you take all that to them. It'll stand in your way of loving them. So why don't you let me do that for you? That is a bus driver who is clear on their identity. That is a bus driver who is clear on how they feel called to go about their work. Oh, that's the invitation for all of us, my dear friends. That's the invitation to this life of faith. That's the invitation to this spiritual path. That we would live out of our true identity in every facet of our life. And that it may influence all of our days, including our work. Will you pray with me? Thank you, O God, for the gift of time, for the gift of work, and for the gift of this life. May may every moment of every day reflect in us your goodness and your mercy and your grace. For that is our prayer. Amen.